I know that's a, that's a hard turn to make from uh, come to the altar to cool in the game. I'm going to have to go back in my word from last week. I've started the sermon two weeks in a row with 80s songs, but um, it was just, just too good. Hey, I wanted to start today with a question, and it relates to that song. That question is this. What is the best celebration you've experienced? Think back in your life in the past when the word celebration or that song comes on, what, what comes to mind? Maybe an experience you've had, maybe something you've been a part of. I've had the whole week to think about this question, but right when I thought of asking it, two experiences came to mind. The first one was a wedding I got to officiate in September of 2017. Uh, it was the wedding of my friend Robert McCulloch. I, I met Robert in 2003 and became friends with him and his wife, and they became mentors to Danny and I, and we became very close friends. Robert's wife, Anne, passed away in October of 2011 from cancer. Uh, and that was just a, a really, really hard thing. She was one of my closest friends. Well, in the spring of 2017, Robert texted me late on a Saturday night, and he said, Scott, uh, I've met this amazing woman. I just proposed to her, and I want you to perform the wedding. And it was, I have to tell you, it was a range of emotions. I was so excited for Robert, and as I got to know his fiance, you know, I was so thrilled that God had brought this new person into his life. But part of me still missed my friend. But it was an amazing, amazing day. This was the arch where they got married. All of these are real flowers, by the way. And it was a, a wedding in which no expense was spared. And it was just an amazing weekend at their home in Sedona, just celebrating what God had done. I also thought in terms of celebration of an event that happened about 10 days after I came on staff at Cornerstone. One of the first things that I actually got to do with our team was head over to the Juvenile Justice Center, which typically isn't the place where you have celebrations. But that day, it was a celebration. It was the day that Josh and Katie McClintock adopted Xander. And after a long, long journey, they brought him into their family. And there was great joy and celebration. That whole courtroom was packed with friends and family who were celebrating that day with them. And it was a great, great day. There's some of you, I know right now that you're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to hear about celebration for the next 30 minutes. And it's hard for you. And I think that there are some real obstacles that stand in the way for some of us to experiencing celebration. Some of you right now have bought into the myth that your life has to be going well for you to celebrate. And because you're not in a good season, because you're in a season of struggle, celebration is hard for you. There are others of us that we're just kind of on to the next thing, people. We just keep moving on to the next thing and on to the next thing and on to the next thing, and we never stop and look back. There are others of us that that we actually prefer what's new to what's old and the future to the past, and so we never stop and turn around and celebrate. And there are others of us that are just honestly kind of lazy, and celebration is work. It makes a mess, and we have to clean it up, and we just go, it's just more work to celebrate, and I don't want more work. But I also think that there are some really important things we have to talk about today when it comes to what we miss out on when we don't celebrate. That song we sang a little while ago, Build Your Kingdom Here, it's by a band called Ren Collective, and their lead singer, Gareth, says this. He says, joy is a spiritual discipline. We as people are much more inclined towards negativity and cynicism. We don't find it easy or natural to pursue joy. We live in a world that it's not gonna come naturally to go to joy. It's gonna come naturally to go towards negativity and cynicism. And so what happens is if we don't celebrate, we're gonna miss out on joy. If we don't celebrate, some of us are going to get discouraged. And that's where some of you are today. You're not as excited as you were four weeks ago when the year began. The resolutions you've started have already failed. The the energy you had about a new year is already waning. 
the things that you had hoped to accomplish by this point in your life, you haven't, and you're discouraged. There are others of you that it's even more important. You're actually vulnerable to spiritual attack. You're being attacked by our enemy, Satan, and one of the ways that he's getting at you is that you lack joy. You're not celebrating. You're not remembering. You're not taking part in what God is doing. And because of that, you are easy pickings. So today, we are going to talk about two words, celebration and participation, because we have a lot to celebrate today. And so here's our big idea. I'd encourage you to write this down in your handout. Every day, including today, God invites us to celebrate what he has done and to participate in what he's about to do. Every single day that we are alive, breathing on planet Earth, we receive an invitation from God that's twofold. To celebrate what he has done in the past and to turn forward and participate in what he is about to do. And all throughout the scriptures, we find reminders and callings to celebrate. And I'm going to walk you through a few examples this morning. In the book of Nehemiah chapter 8, Nehemiah says to the people, go your way, eat the fat. That's the blessing to eat bacon for those of you who are wondering. Go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready for this day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Jesus in John 15 says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. The Apostle Paul in Philippians 4 tells us to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And then in 1 Thessalonians 5, he says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. We have a biblical mandate to be people who regularly celebrate. And some amazing things can happen in our lives when we stop, and we recognize what God has done and we celebrate. And so this morning, I want to answer this question. What happens when we celebrate and participate? And I've got five things and some really cool stories to share with you. The first thing that happens when we celebrate and participate with God is that we're reminded of our purpose. We're reminded of our purpose. One of the challenges about life is that all of us, no matter how many apps you have or how many lists you have or how strong your memory still is, all of us have this tendency to forget what's truly important, to lose sight of our purpose. If you're parenting a teenager right now, you may lose sight of the fact that God has called you to raise a healthy, mature adult because you think God's purpose in your life is to drive you bananas through this teenager. If you're in a season where you're, you're working in a job that's really difficult, your boss is really frustrating, you hate your coworkers, you're forgetting that God has given you that job and that place to glorify him and provide for your family. Maybe you're caring for an aging parent or an aging friend. You feel like your life purpose is arguing with Medicare and setting doctor's appointments. And you're forgetting that God has given you an opportunity to love and care for one of his children. What happened to me this year is somewhere along the way, I lost sight of my purpose. I got discouraged and I forgot all the good things that God was doing. And it took looking back and discovering some things for me to be reminded of that. And so I want to share with you some really cool stories that have happened in our church. The first one involves my friend Chip. 
Chip told us, I came to Prescott a little over a year ago, and it wasn't my will to be here, my desire to be here, but God had a plan for me anyway. He said, I was having a really difficult time turning my life over to Jesus, but in the summer of 2018, I finally experienced that moment of surrender. I was baptized on September 9th at Cornerstone, and it was an amazing experience. He said, I'm so thankful for Cornerstone. This is Tiffany, and she said, when I moved to Prescott, I was in a very dark chapter of my life. I was very unhappy with my life and fighting God. You see, over the past 10 years, I had been running from Christ and trying to have control of my own life. So much so that I lost myself during that journey. The second time I attended Cornerstone happened to be the first day of At the Movies. And for some reason, the message behind The Greatest Showman just broke me into a million pieces, and that day I rededicated my life to Christ. This is the Risto family, and they told us this week that our community group has created a safe space for us to be real. It's been very easy to be honest and transparent, and we look forward to being together each week. What, what they didn't tell me is that they came to their group this week after canceling a trip to go snowboarding because they so love being a part of their group. Having people to talk to and go through life with has been awesome. Following Jesus is hard, but having these friendships makes it easier. This is the Dugan family, and they told us, we've always wanted to serve together as a family, but our kids were never old enough to participate. So when one Mexico missions trip over fall break happened, it was right up our alley as we've built many houses, and our kids wanted to go back as soon as we returned. They said, we love being able to serve as a family through our church. And this fall, about 75 of you went out into our community and served over 170 educators in four schools. And one of those teachers we served wrote us an email, and she said, thank you for bringing the light of Christ into the lives of my coworkers. For those who would not even step foot in a church building, you brought the church to them this morning by your presence. That's why we're here. And we need to celebrate so that we can remember our purpose. And honestly, even as your pastor, until I stepped back and started talking to some of these people and looking at their stories and remembering what God did, I lost sight of what God was doing. And we have a reminder up in our office. I pass by it every day, and it reminds us that our church is here to help others take their next step towards Jesus. And tens and hundreds of people through our church are a step closer to Jesus than they were this year. Some of your coworkers at the beginning of last year hated Christianity, but guess what? They had lunch with you this week. That's a huge step. Some of your coworkers hadn't been in church in a long time, and you invited them to Easter, or you invited them to at the movies, or you invited them to Christmas, and they came. Some of you were like Tiffany last year. You weren't connected to a local church. You couldn't remember the last conversation you had with God, but this week, you prayed. You're here. When we celebrate what God has done, it reminds us of our purpose. Number two, when we celebrate, we find the power to endure. We find the power to endure. As I said, some of you are in the middle of the most difficult year of your life, the most difficult season of your life. And James, the brother of Jesus, talks about where you are in his book in the Bible. In James 1 verse 2, he says, count it all joy. Your Bible may say count it pure joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Why? For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Your Bible may say perseverance. And so he says, hey, when you're in trials of many kinds, you actually have a choice. Unlike an animal which just has a, uh, has a stimulus and a reaction, you have a choice. And you can choose to count your test as joy. 
to celebrate in that place. And through that celebration, God will give you the strength to endure. Some of you this year are on the other side of a difficult season. Some of you are on the other side of a trial and you endured it and God gave you the strength to get get through it. And if you're on the front side of that, I want to remind you that one of the things that may seem weird to do is to look in the rearview mirror, to look back and think about all the ways that God has brought you through it, all the things that God has done. We tend to be people who only like to celebrate when everything's done. We go, hey, when it's all done, then I'll celebrate. But here's the thing. Some of you are in a race that lasts longer than a 100-meter run. Some of you are in a race that's longer than a marathon. You're in a race or a struggle or a season that's going to be weeks, months, or years. And if you don't learn to celebrate the progress you're making along the way, you will give up. But if you celebrate what God has done along the way, he will give you the endurance to keep going. And as a church, we have so much to celebrate. And we're going to give you a copy of our annual report when you leave today. But one of the things you're going to see is that last year we grew about 13 people, sorry, 13% in attendance. And you go, okay, those are cool numbers. But what you need to remember is that 10 years ago, Cornerstone was less than 50 people. And there was a serious conversation with the board about closing its doors. 10 years ago, less than 50 people. Last Sunday, over 600 people attended our services live or online. That's amazing. That's amazing. In 2017, we baptized 15 people. And in 2018, because you shared your faith, you invited your friends, you prayed, we baptized 25 people. That's pretty, pretty cool. If you want to clap, you can. One of our board members told us this week that he was in a church previously where in the entire tenure in the church, they didn't baptize 25 people. He said, it's amazing what God has done here. In 2017, we had 35 students coming to our student ministry program on Wednesday night. This last year, we had 52 students. That's a 50% increase. One of my favorite moments from last year was when Pastor Josh came to us and said, guys, board members, I'm kicking you out of your room because they needed space on Wednesday night. And we were meeting in the building on Wednesday night. And he's like, Scott, we need every space we can get in this building for students who are coming. And so we moved our meeting. We were so excited. In 2009, we had less than $150,000 in offerings. And in 2018, you gave over a million dollars. What's even cooler is that last year we gave more to missions than we gave in total in 2009. Say, Scott, why are we talking about all of this? Because discouragement is real. My mentor, Michael Hyatt, his wife, Gail, tells us that people lose their way when they lose their why. And some of you right now in your life are tempted to give up You're tempted to throw in the towel with parenting. You're tempted to throw in the towel with the relationship. You're tempted to throw in the towel with your job. You're even tempted to throw in the towel with your faith because you have lost sight of your why. And you need to know that God is at work. Yeah, he's not done. Yeah, he still has stuff to do. Even at Cornerstone, we're not a perfect church. And as much as I just celebrated, I could focus on all the things that were not yet what God's called us to be. But you know what? That would lead me to discouragement. And that would steal glory and praise from God. And what I know is that people's lives are being transformed because you are living out your faith, showing this city and this world that you are for them. People's lives are being changed because you are for Prescott. 
and you are for the world. The third thing that celebration does is that it humbles us. When we celebrate and participate with what God is doing, we're humbled. And we all need to be humbled. One of the first callings in scripture to celebration happens in the book of Exodus after the people of Israel are delivered from their slave masters in Egypt. And in talking about Passover, the people are commanded in Exodus 12. It says, you shall observe this rite, this Passover, as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service, this Passover. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? Why are we doing this? You shall say to them, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel and Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses, and the people bowed their heads, and they worshiped. See, celebration isn't just for us. It is an opportunity for us to teach others. Some of you who are parents or grandparents, you have an opportunity to pass on the legacy and testimony of what God has done in your family by celebrating. I'm so grateful that my my grandfather, before he had multiple strokes and and lost his ability to communicate clearly, told me about what happened when he was in New York City in the 60s. He told me about how he was carrying a, a load of slides for a presentation. He was an architect, and he was walking into a hotel. It was raining. His stuff was all wet. He was getting out of his taxi, and, and somebody grabbed and pulled the door open for him, and he turned and looked at that person, and it was Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. He said, Scott, he was in the middle of an interview. He was in the middle of a conversation, but he noticed me. And he opened the door for me. And then I got in the elevator after checking in, and his hand stuck his hand in the elevator, and the door opened, and there it was Dr. King again. And he said, are you stalking me or am I stalking you? And they had a conversation about what they were in New York for. And then the very next day, they got on the plane flight, a Delta flight. They sat down, my grandpa on one aisle and Dr. King on the other side. They said, okay, this is getting funny. And my grandfather passed on to me that part of the reason that he came to respect Dr. King was because of how he showed him a simple act of kindness. Because he celebrated that, that's part of my legacy now. And it's a story I just told my son this last week and his teacher thought he was making up the story at school. And so I sent her my grandpa's story and said, no, he makes up stories, but this one is real. His grandpa, great grandpa did actually know uh, Dr. King. See, here's the reason why we need to celebrate. If we don't celebrate what God has done in the past, we'll be tempted to take credit in the future. If we don't celebrate what God has done in the past, we'll be tempted to take credit in the future. Part of the reason why we're even doing this today is that I am a flawed, broken human. And as a pastor, I'm tempted to look at numbers like these and go, hmm, you're pretty awesome, Scott. But that's the way of my flesh. That's the way that my enemy wants me to go. And part of celebration is a deflecting of credit and praise to whom it belongs, Jesus, because I believe the cornerstone's greatest days are in the future and we're gonna have even more to celebrate in the future. And I wanna build the habit of celebration now so that in the future I do what we're doing right now, which is praising and glorifying God for this. Celebration is a muscle that we have to build. And for many of us, we don't celebrate well. In his book, Celebration of Discipline, Richard Foster said this. He said, it is an occupational hazard of devout folk to become stuffy bores. That should not be. 
Of all the people in the world, we should be the most free, alive, and interesting. Celebration adds a note of gaiety, festivity, hilarity to our lives. After all, Jesus rejoiced so fully in life that he was accused of being a wine-bibber and a glutton. Many of us lead such sour lives that we couldn't possibly be accused of such things. If you're a follower of Jesus, you should have a reputation as somebody that celebrates well. And sadly, Christians and churches are often more sour than they are celebratory. And I want part of our church as the DNA that we are eager and quick to celebrate when God moves, that we are eager and quick to celebrate when God is at work, and that we give him the glory so that we are humbled in the process. The fourth thing that celebrating and participating does is it gives us the ability to get stronger. When we celebrate and participate with God, we get stronger. Pastor Frank Langford was on our staff for many years before he moved into hospital chaplaincy and moved to Phoenix. And one of his favorite verses is also a favorite verse of mine, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18, where it says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. Why? For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. One of the biggest questions I get as a pastor is, Scott, how do I know God's will for my life? I'm not totally sure the answer to that question, but I can tell you three things. It's God's will for your life. It's right here. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. And there's a word for that, hard. It is hard to rejoice always because sometimes we're in circumstances where the last thing we want to do is rejoice. For some of you, it is hard for you to pray right now because you're not sure God is kind. You're not sure God is showing you kindness right now. And it's really hard to pray to a God that you're not sure actually loves you and is kind to you. And for some of you, it's really hard to give thanks because you're like, what do I have to give thanks for? There's nothing here. And this is why you need to know that celebration is not weakness. It demands strength. To choose to celebrate in the midst of circumstances where every inclination of your heart is not to, that requires strength. To pray when you're still answering and hammering out hard questions with God, that that requires strength. And when you give thanks in the midst of circumstances where everyone around you goes, how are you showing gratitude? That requires strength. And you build that strength when you don't need it so that it's there when you do. Celebration is like gratitude. You build the strength so you have it when you need it the most. I know this sounds counterintuitive, I know this sounds really crazy. Like, Scott, why would I celebrate in hard times? Why would I pray to a God that I'm still asking hard questions about? Why would I give thanks in a circumstance where I have nothing to give thanks for? Because that is the way of Jesus. He calls us to things that are counterintuitive. He says, you want to gain your life? Lose it. You want to be the richest in heaven? Give away everything you have. You want to be first? Go last. You want to be like me? Love your neighbor as yourself. You want to follow me? Turn the other cheek. Somebody asks you to go a mile, you go two. We forget that Jesus calls us to things that don't naturally make sense, but they're true. And we just covered this at Christmas time, remember? We talked about wonder, and we said wonder doesn't depend on our 
experience. It depends on our perspective. And the same thing is true with celebration. You could in your life focus on all the things that are not yet as they could be, and you would find yourself unrejoicing, unprayerful, and ungrateful. And eventually you'd be like Foster described, you'd be that sourpuss. But if you focus on the things that God has done, if you focus on the things that God is doing, if you focus on the places where God is at work, your focus will go there and that will shape your perspective and then that will shape your experience. When we celebrate, God strengthens us. And finally, and it's a good segue here, we reset our perspective. We reset our perspective. All of you, and I mean all of you, do something every single day. It's a, a calling you have. It's a thing you, you started doing when, when you were young and you didn't even realize it. All of you are storytellers. You might not think you're a good storyteller. You go, I can't write a story. I watch them on movies. I read them in books. No, all of you are storytellers because all of you make a story out of your experience. All of you take what's happened to you and you begin composing a story out of it. You go home at the end of a day from work and you tell the people you live with about your day. You turn it into a story. Right now, you're telling yourself a story about about the sermon you're experiencing, the service you're experiencing. We are all storytellers. We take what happens to us and we make a story out of it. And for many of us, we don't actually think about the stories we tell. My wife and I have been in counseling and one of the gifts that counseling has given us is this tool to step back from the stories we're telling and see them objectively. We use a phrase with each other, the story I'm telling myself is. And so a couple weeks ago, I was frustrated with my wife. And I could have just been mad and brooding, but I said, honey, the story I'm telling myself about you, and this is right now, and I told her what the story was. And she goes, Scott, that isn't true. I said, well, what is true? And she just told me the story from her perspective. And I go, oh, I didn't see that. But as long as I held on to that story and believed it and didn't give her a chance to validate or invalidate it, I would have been in a dark, unhealthy place. And for many of you, the perspective you have on life is coming because you're telling a story that doesn't align with this and isn't the true picture of what God is doing. Some of you, because you're in a hard season, are tempted to tell yourself that God has forgotten you, he doesn't love you, he's not kind to you, you've done something wrong. And that is one way you could see it, but there are others. And as a church, we continually call you and we call each other to take steps that help us to reset our perspective. We call them MAP, the big four. Gathering in worship, connecting in a group, serving where you're gifted and engaging your circle. And one of the reasons we we hit on these every week is because these actually reset reset your, your perspective. When we gather in worship for an hour, you're taking your focus off of your circumstances and you're resetting it on God. Because our tendency is to hyper-focus on our negative circumstances and occasionally glance at God. And is it any wonder we're filled with anxiety, worry, doubt, and shame? When we gather in worship, we gaze at God for an hour and we allow that to reset our perspective. When you connect in a community group, you're coming together with people who have the opportunity to point out where you're practicing what one writer calls stinking thinking. Just this week in my community group, we had some conversations with one guy in our group who is in a really tough season. And he wasn't judged. He wasn't condemned. He was listened to and encouraged. We didn't solve his problems. He didn't leave with everything figured out. But it was an opportunity for him to hear a different perspective. 
When you serve, you're choosing to not make it about you. I remember when I first came on staff at Cornerstone, Jamie Parker told me a story that somebody left our church because of this. He said, at Cornerstone, you want us to serve, and I don't really want to serve, so I'm going to go somewhere else where I don't have to serve. Awesome. See ya. We'll take your seat. If you don't want to serve, if this is going to be a place where it's about you, then that's part of what we're trying to work around. We're trying to reset your perspective because it's not about us. It's about Jesus and what he's doing through us. And then when we engage our circle, we are recognizing and resetting our perspective that you may not want to be where you are, but you are not where you are by accident. Last Sunday I said there was over 600 people who gathered here or watched online. What that means, if you think about it, think about everybody that you had lunch with, worked with, went out and took out your garbage with, hung out with this last week, that means that five to 10,000 people were touched by Cornerstone Church this week through you. Places where you live and work and study and play, you are not there by accident. And I had lunch, lunch with people this week that you didn't have lunch with. And you had coffee with people this week that I didn't have coffee with. And your neighbors are not my neighbors. But through all of us, God has put us in this place and he is accomplishing his work through us if we will open our eyes to it. And so today, he's inviting us to celebrate what he's done and to participate in what he's doing next. And to do that and step into that, there are some things that we can do even today. And the first thing we can do is we can celebrate. We can celebrate what God did in 2018. When you leave today, on the tables in the lobby, you're going to find a copy of our annual report. It looks like this, and it, it hits on some of the numbers and stories we've shared. It's an opportunity for us to celebrate what God has done. And this morning, I, I kind of seated the room. I walked around and handed around some party poppers. And so if you have your party popper, would you pull it out right now? I'm going to ask my friend Benny, who's been leading with us today, to come up here. We're going to have a little moment of celebration together. So Benny, you want to hold on to that? And I'm just going to go through some things that have happened in our church. And when we're done, I want you to get ready that you're actually going to have to talk and make noise in church. I know some of this goes against experience, but you can do this. We're going to celebrate what God has done in our church at the end of this slide when I finish reading it, okay? We're going to pop some confetti, and we're going to ask you to holler and clap and blow your noisemakers, okay? So let's get ready. We'll go through this together. In 2018, we had more people worshiping, more people connecting, honestly, a little less people serving. We've got to be honest here. More people being engaged, more decisions, people being baptized, and more people being generous with their financial resources. We have a lot to celebrate. Yeah! But, but it isn't just here. In your life, this week, what I want you to do is I want you to go home. I want you to pull out your calendar, or maybe you pull up on your Facebook page or your Instagram page, and look back over this last year. I did this yesterday, and I found three things that I totally forgot about that God did. And celebrate, because you're, some of you, in some tough days, and some of you have some tough days ahead. And you need to celebrate what God has done to get you ready for what's ahead. If you're in a community group, on the back of your handout, there's an activity your group can do together to celebrate what God has done when you meet this week. The second thing we're going to do is that we're going to praise God for his faithfulness because we didn't do this. This is God's work. 
and we're going to point the praise to him. And we're even going to practice that right now. Today we're going to end with a song, but I thought we'd do a sneak preview of it. And so Benny is going to lead us in one of our favorite hymns that talks about God and his faithfulness. And I'm going to encourage you to sing along with her. Benny, why don't you lead us? Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As full song in a second. But the third thing that we're going to do is that we're going to participate in what God's doing next. We believe that God is just getting started at Cornerstone. This is our 30th anniversary this year. But we believe that the 30 years that have passed pale in comparison to what God is going to do in the future. But we need you to, to be a part of that. And in your bulletin, there's a special card. It looks like this. It's in the back, and it says, Participating in Cornerstone in 2019. And so we're inviting you today to begin considering how God might have you participate in what's happening in our church. On here, it talks about, I'll make participating in Sunday worship services a priority for me and my family, because we know the average American only comes to church, those who do, about one and a half times a month. Are you currently involved in a group? Maybe you are. Or maybe you aren't. Maybe you, maybe you need to get involved in a group in 2019. Maybe as you look around your group, you realize that there are no longer empty seats in your group. And part of you participating in what God's doing this year is you hosting or leading a group. Maybe you serve every month at Cornerstone. We have 237 folks who serve every month. That's amazing. But there are places where we need more. And if you're going to be part of our church, we're not going to let up. We're going to call you to serve and play a role in what's happening On the back, it talks about how are you engaging your circle. I'm engaging my circle through my work as a blank. We'd love to know what you do for a living, where it is that you live out your faith every week. It says, I'm engaging my circle through volunteering. We would love to know where you volunteer. Some of you are doing amazing things, and we're not going to bring you up on stage and give you an award. We're just going to encourage you and celebrate with you. Pastor Clovis mentioned the Zambia trip. There's also information on here about a Mexico mission trip. And then finally, giving. I'm currently a consistent giver, or I'm not yet a consistent giver, but I'm committing to consistently give. We believe that what God is doing at Cornerstone is a story worth celebrating, and it's a story worth participating in. And so before our annual meeting today, we wanted to throw some confetti in the air, act a little bit like kids and blow poppers, and celebrate what God has done, because God has blessed us. He has been faithful to us, and he's inviting us to be a part of what he's going to do next. Let's pray.
God, we thank you so much for how you have been faithful in this last year. There have been some hard days. There have been some difficult moments. There have been some seasons where we lost sight of our purpose. There have been some seasons where we got discouraged. There have been some times where, frankly, we thought about giving up. But you never gave up on us. You were faithful. And what we've shared today just scratches the surface of your faithfulness and your goodness and your work. We pray that we would this week, before we get too deep into this year, that we would look back on last year and celebrate all that you've done. We pray that we would remember and praise you for all the places that you did things that we thought were impossible or improbable. We we pray that you would give us the strength to celebrate if we're in a dark season. We pray that you would give us the strength to give thanks if we don't see anything to give thankful for. And we pray that you would show us the places that you're inviting us in to what you're about to do next, God. You tell us through the Apostle Paul that you are capable of doing exceedingly and abundantly more than we could ask or imagine. God, we want to take you seriously on that. And we want to be part of that. Thank you for loving us and caring for us and walking with us. And thank you for receiving our praise today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.